Hello and welcome to Talking Events, the industry podcast brought to you by Event Industry News. Uh, the podcast today has been recorded uh, in the wonderful surroundings of the, the hospitality suites at Twickenham Stadium. Um, an invite extended by the events and hospitality team for us to come and record the latest episodes here. So we should say thank you for the invitation, thank you for the hospitality and thank you for providing such amazing surroundings to record the podcast in. Um, today's episode we're going to be looking at the impact of live streaming um, at events um, and the impact it's had on the brands, on the organisers, on the audiences. Uh, joining us in the podcast studio today, we welcome first of all Bruce Rose from the live group. Bruce, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. David Thorpe from Google UK, delighted is on the podcast with us today. Hello David. Hi there. And James Wilkinson from uh, Streaming Tank. James, thank you very much for joining Talking Events. Thank you. Um, live streaming, a um, number of different ways to do it, a number of different ways for people to access it. Um, mixed results so far for um, for events as a whole. Uh, where are we with it as it stands at the moment? Is it something that's having a positive impact? Are we still at a stage where it's very much an unknown entity? What do we think? Who wants to open us up today? Well, um, I'll say that on YouTube we've been doing uh, live streaming of events for a number of years. I think we started with um, in a big way with the Olympics in 2012, the London Olympics, and we put a lot of engineering work into building up um, the platform in order to support that. And I would say that was a, a big success. And uh, and yes, as you say, we since then we've done many other events uh, with mixed results. And uh, and I would say that um, there's still a long way to go before people kind of really understand what works well as a live streaming event and what doesn't, and to get over some of the sort of the myths around live streaming events um, and um, but I think there's there's definitely a big future there for live streaming. When you say mixed results what do you mean by mixed results in terms of the audience numbers or the impact that it's had on the actual event from a positivity point of view? Well I mean on YouTube we talk uh, about uh, watch time, number of viewers, revenue, all of those things are sort of mm. uh, mixed across the board. And, uh, uh, and Bruce um, in terms of what you guys offer and perhaps we should we should talk a little bit about respectively what, what Bruce and James do within their companies, to, to put it into context. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit what about the Live Group does and what it offers in terms of live streaming. Yeah, I mean, Live Group has been a traditional events agency and was a traditional events agency for near 30 years. And it's only really in the last um, probably six, I'd say, that we started to switch to a more digital tool-orientated um, method. And, and now we really advise our clients on the best way to introduce digital technology into their events. And of course, Live streaming is a is a huge part of that. Um, it is a service we offer, and sometimes it's something that we do and we organise. Other times we're dealing with large organisations like James's and, and kind of taking that knowledge on board in, in how to to plan and deliver these. But really, I think we sum it up, or, or I do, in that it is perhaps the most exciting time as an events agency to be engaging with this technology because there are lessons to be learned. There are little pitfalls that, that need to be mindful, but every time we do a webcast, we're learning something new about it, and we're finding out different things that we can bring and how to improve it in the future. Well, hold that thought about the pitfalls, the lessons that can be learned, because that's something we need to address in today's episode. Let's go over to James Wilkinson from, from Streaming Tank. Let's talk a little bit about what, what you guys offer and your own experiences within the streaming uh, the streaming world. Well, of course, well, we're a, a digital broadcasting agency. I, I, the reason why I pick up on that term is because I feel yeah, live streaming is is very sort of like targeted at just putting a live event online. But uh, as Bruce was referring to earlier, that it, it's so much more than actually just putting the live stream on now. It's a case of 
like the before, during, and after the events, because it becomes part of a what we find. We were chatting earlier about the fact that a lot of these uh, agencies they uh, they come to us with their big events and they're just they're getting excited about this big launch event they're doing and then they expect like hundreds of thousands if not millions of viewers at the last minute and they say hey we'll get streaming tank to help out and then you give them the uh, um, analytics afterwards and they look at you and go oh but that hasn't how does that compare to mm. like an outdoor campaign or a um, tv ad and it's quite difficult for us to to just offer the, the live stream so that's why it is more about just yeah uh, learning from uh, experiences, working out what works in different um, markets, so business to consumer, business to business, uh, how you can help promote the event, and then also not just letting it just sit there afterwards, it's actually cutting the video up and making more of a sort of, a, yeah, so it goes longer than just, oh, we'll put it on YouTube and then just leave it. It's That's where I find that it's changing a lot more the word, yeah, the sort of the industry of live streaming, because it shouldn't just be about, hey, let's put a live event on. It should be about why we're doing this, uh, what are the objectives? Because if it is just a get the message out there, then that's fine. And but they've got to work out how they're going to do that, and then where it goes afterwards is is hugely important. So we uh, are we perhaps at a stage within the industry where people understand what live streaming is and how it can be delivered in terms of the technology and the hardware that's required, but are still <coughs> not planning it in an advanced stage as well as they could be and should be i think that's fair i think the thing that we we try to fight certainly when we're advising clients about bringing live streaming into their event is to not think of it um, as james says as just a bolt-on it's something that needs as much thought as the full live event itself and when it is done with that in mind you see fantastic results when it's not and it's scary actually james when you say about you know you give people the analytics after the facts and go oh well how does that compare it's like did you do any marketing for it? Did you did you plan it as if you were... Uh, the metaphor we like to use is you have a room of people that you've paid for that are coming to the venue, and then you have a much, much larger room full of your online audience. And if you're not catering for their needs or you're not planning for their needs, you're, you're missing a quite massive trick. Mm -hmm. um, what are, the, are some of the, the, the best examples um, that, that Google and, and YouTube perhaps can, can reference where live streaming has been successful in terms of the way it was planned in advance, marketed to people and delivered and any interactions afterwards? Are there, are there things that spring to mind instantly that you think, yes, that was when it was done really well? Um, um, you'd have to think about that for a moment. I mean, um, I'm just um, thinking of people that... You know, as as James and Bruce have said, um, it's all in the what happens before all the marketing, getting people excited about turning up for the live event. Because literally, you know, people have got their laptop. Um, if they don't know that it's there, then they can do a billion other things. You've got to actually make them want to switch that laptop on, press the button, or the mobile or tablet, press mm -hmm. the button, and, and sort of join in. So uh, any successful event will include a big element of getting people excited beforehand about what you're doing. So um, the most important sort of content would be around um, things which just can't be done um, in, a, in a sort of a, a video-on-demand fashion. Um, so for example, we work closely with Samsung every year and they do their launches of their Samsung Gear phones. They do a whole plethora of adverts leading up to the event. They have a big sort of show of that. And, and literally millions of people do tune in for those sort of events, um, either on YouTube directly embedded on their own sort of properties or within ad units as well. So um, getting that live stream far and wide as possible is always also a really good strategy to, in order to sort of gain the biggest audience you can. 
How, how often have the three of you come up against um, event professionals, particularly, who may be worried about losing uh, actual audience members at the event by offering live streaming as a way of interacting? Is it something that, that crops up? Because I know that it's something that the readers uh, of Event Industry News have, have talked about fairly often, um, is to when is the right time to live stream and when is the wrong time? And is it, is it something that should be integrated with every event or is it very much a case-by-case -case basis of saying, is it right, is it wrong? Um, it, it happens all the time. Uh, certainly with us is, is when we're working with a client for the first time, we're introducing the idea of live streaming the event. It's the first question we're asked. It's, oh, but if we live stream, no one will come. And it, it, is, it, is, it is a myth, certainly to us. It's what we find. We, we talk about actually an audience filter in terms of there will be people that come to your event, um, and I, I come at this for a, an event where there is a live event, which we're also webcasting, and you will have people that come to that event because they want to network, because they want to meet with peers, and those people will still come to your event. There might be people who actually just want to engage with the content and the speakers, and that's an audience that is better served perhaps in a, in a live streaming environment, but the net gain is that your audience numbers increase. The people that really want to go on site to the event still go on site and they engage more because they're surrounded by people that also want to engage with them. The people that watch online are part of a much larger, larger audience cohort and they get to watch all the content in a much more convenient fashion. And you, I hear so many tales of people saying, oh, I can't leave the office for a full day, but you have a, a really interesting talk I really want to watch. I'm going to engage with that. And that's only possible with this technology. I, c I can add uh, to that, and the clients that I work for, I'm sure that Bruce is the same, is the fact that you can also add a paywall where actually mm. your, your people that aren't there at the event, you're still the, the event producer or uh, company is still making the money out of the event they're putting on. Uh, yes, there are, they are there, the people actually that go to the events are there to network, but actually I think if you want to have the online audience uh, engaging, then they, sh they probably should be paying for for the content and whether that's on demand or live. So if it's like five pounds, 10 pounds, or even a hundred, depending on the, quali the quality of the, the event, then yes, it, it should be an online ticketed event as well. And that's another thing to think about. I, I disagree with that point, thank goodness. Okay, um, excellent, we I, love a disagreement. I know. Yeah, far away. So, um, I mean, if you're gonna put this barrier up for people to pay for your event, you're sort of assuming that um, that it's, a, it's something valuable online as well. I mean, clearly, you can get people to pay, but um, you'll probably find that not that many people will pay. I think what you need to do is use your live event as a sort of like a catch for people. People are, you know, they're happy to watch things online if they can't do it otherwise, but they really wanna be there at your event, regardless of whether or not sort of, you know, there's barriers in the way. If by putting that live stream online for free, um, then you're giving them an opportunity to sort of like see what it's like and then maybe next year come back to your event, buy a ticket for it. Um, people understand that the experience online is going to be a much lesser experience than, um, than, uh, than actually being there and you just need to, to just keep telling them like come next year, you know, buy a ticket for it. Um, that's going to be your best thing. It's not necessarily looking at the live stream as a, a sort of a revenue strategy because I just don't think you're going to cover your costs by doing that. Um, the other thing I think is you've got to think big. Um, you know, you, you're thinking about people in offices that can't turn up for the full day. But live streaming, the great thing about it is it's a global medium. Like you're finding people all over the world who can actually participate in your event that they wouldn't normally do. So mm. think, you know, if your event is sort of based in the UK, think, well, how are we going to market this to people in, you know, other countries? You mm. know, we, you've got such a big audience that, that's potentially interested in what you're doing. And you should be sort of like thinking about that global audience, not something 
um, you know, local at all. Well, I think on that point, then, it's, it's, it's a, a suitable uh, moment to, to mention the fact that the NFL um, uh, announced recently that they'd done a deal with Twitter for 10 million US dollars um, for Twitter to live stream 10 Thursday evening NFL matches during the 2016 season. Um, and the NFL were quite vocal in the fact that, that they hadn't done what was the financially the best deal for the NFL. It wasn't the highest amount bid, but they felt that by doing the live streaming through Twitter, they were going to expand their audience, um, not just with the people that use Twitter, but other websites can subsequently embed that Twitter feed into their own streams, etc., etc. So this ties in perfectly with the, op the idea of free streaming, but I'm also keen to sort of find out what your opinions are on that, if it's going to have an impact in turning heads on other events, and also services like Periscope, for example, because when we talk about live streaming, we're not just talking about bringing in services to provide high-quality live streaming, we're talking about actually the public generating those streams as well, which mm -hmm. has been quite... So, so, so let, let's use that as two points. What do we think about the NFL, the, the, the Twitter announcement? I think it, it ties in very well to David's point, actually, in that what what we're talking about when when expanding an audience with live streaming audiences you you're basically creating brand ambassadors for your content uh, and for your event and so the nfl have quite clearly realized well if we broadcast we're creating this direct link into twitter so people will start talking about the nfl brand and, and the games through the platform we we see an increase and then that will hopefully generate a greater audience in return um i think it then gets interesting and when we talk slightly about pitfalls is that that can then go wrong if things haven't been planned correctly or, or something can go wrong and, and an audience which is watching online is suddenly all over social media talking about how something is perhaps going wrong at the event and it, it's a real risk that event organizers need to, to be thinking of um, and it, it, it's certainly that we always try and fight it in that if you have someone that's at an actual event and something might go wrong they might grumble to the person next to them and then it's all forgotten but a tweet is always on there and it's not going to be removed and it has an impact much wider than just the person's immediate followers i think what's quite just adding to that i think what's quite interesting looking at things like periscope facebook live or meerkat no longer but uh, <laughs> is the fact that uh, is quality control. I, I, I'm, I think uh, live streaming over the last, uh, well, it's been, we've all been doing it for so many years, but what's interesting is it's become suddenly the last six months, oh, live streaming is here and now. We're like, mm. okay, but what's interesting, yes, it's there and it's here now for the user generator. And also, yes, brands are now using it, et cetera, et cetera. But what I've recently seen quite, which is quite interesting, I don't know what you guys think, but is quality control. Because if you're just there with your mobile phone pointing it at a rock concert, uh, but you're a brand doing that. I still think there's uh, a quality control issue of actually it's different to what uh, Twitter are doing with the NHL or whatever it is, but because they can, they're going to, it's going to be broadcast quality pictures and it's what goes into YouTube Live as well and that sure, kind of thing. Yeah. But, but it, it's when it flips over to like brands trying to, oh, we're going to do a, a live stream from the mobile phone through Facebook Live, Periscope, that kind of stuff. I just think that. It's going to be having. We're going to. They're going to have brands. are going to have to watch and agencies that space. Yes, it's free, but they've got to have make sure that their rig or whatever they're doing that setup is nice and professional because doing yeah. a standard live stream through that kind of device is going to be, have complications. I think that's quite an important thing. 
Well, shall I disagree again? Please do. Yeah, fantastic. No, if you could just agree, though. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, you know, I'm not, um, I work for YouTube. Uh, We're a platform. We, um, anyone who wants to um, sort of live stream on our platform can do so. Um, or, or upload VOD, of course, which is another service that we offer. And um, uh, and essentially, you know, the quality, to be honest, is less important than the content. Uh, I think it's like, you know, people find their audience and their audience find the people that they that they want. I would like brands and, um, and, and other people to be less precious about the quality of what they do and, and think more about the... Think more about the quality of the, you know, the production, and, and more about the quality of the content that they're providing. Um, so that's more interesting, uh, I think, for for people than than having a really good professional sort of setup. Um, just going to the NFL uh, Twitter thing, it's great um, that people can um, feel that that they can reach their audiences in the, in that way. Uh, we find that a lot of um, sports leagues and uh, and other people where they haven't sold rights in particular countries um, that they they are they're very happy to provide that in a live stream sense geo-restricted to the country where they haven't done those deals and that's a great way of building an audience i think i I agree to an extent um (laughs) in that yes content should always come first but there is a point at which a diminished quality becomes such a negative and Putting on a and having a let's say an official live stream for an event can then actually become a safeguard, because suddenly the only thing you actually need to live stream an event is a mobile phone, and you can get on Periscope, you get on similar things, and start recording and start broadcasting. And if then people are engaging with that content, let's say the audio is chopping out because it's on the on the on the onboard mobile audio and they can't quite hear what's going on. So oh, this is this isn't great. Whereas actually, if you have an official thing that you can then parlay that into, it doesn't need to be obviously the full bells and whistle complete production job. Mm. It just needs to be of a certain baseline quality that people can actually enjoy the content as good as it may be. And of course, with, with the NFL, we're talking about a multi-billion-dollar brand and entity, aren't we? That that, that where quality control is is uh, uh, paramount in every aspect of what they do. But to, to, to sort of use a layman's term, it's horses for courses, isn't it? It's about striking the balance depending on what your event is. When we bring it back to the relevance of this particular podcast and the audience, we could have guys organising small-scale business conferences, exhibitions, outdoor concerts, festivals, etc., etc. It's about finding the right balance for you and, and identifying what is the best way forward. Yeah, I mean, I agree actually with Bruce in the fact that, you know... Hurrah! Obviously, you need oh, to have. Oh, we need more conflict. There you go. <laughs> uh, you obviously need to have like the audio working. You need to have a good internet. You know, the, there is lots of things you need to do to make a live stream work well. And there are specialised agencies, including the one that James works for, which know everything about how to do this stuff. And it's important that you understand what you need to do to get a live stream up and running. Um, what I don't think you necessarily always need is like fancy equipment. Um, you don't always necessarily need to, you know, lots of vision mixing and and so forth. You just need to make sure that you can engage with your audience and provide something that your audience is interested in. James, I agree with that. Yeah. James, you mentioned that the, the on that that point there about um, you said oh, sort of six months ago suddenly it's become a, a boom. Everybody's yeah. talking about live streaming, etc. But but is it very much been driven by the end users becoming more comfortable with streaming any form of, of visual entertainment through a mobile device or a laptop. I mean, it, it's no secret that on-demand video and TV services have, have, have had a massive boom in the last 18 months or so. People simply are more comfortable with this now, yeah. aren't they, in accessing content? I think it's, it is easier to do, and it's why I, when I talked about my, when I uh, explained uh, who we were, we talked about being a digital broadcasting agency, is because 
I think live streaming is becoming more of a commodity in the fact that you pe more people can do it much easier easily than they could do from a uh, event point of view than maybe four or five years ago. Uh, I think now people are realizing they're almost. I think the next generation are expecting it now to have uh, be able to view on uh, their mobile devices. I don't know about you guys, but yeah, I would say that eighty. 75, 80% now is of big events that we do in the entertainment uh, world are actually being viewed on a mobile device. Uh, I know that may differ on a corporate level because people probably are in front of their uh, PCs or, or laptops um, when they're in a working environment. But I think, yes, people are more in tune to, uh, to receiving it. And I think it's, it's quite relevant now. In a survey by Global Web Index of uh, trend, trends of, of, in the rise of live streaming, um, specifically young mobile users, 40% of them said that they're watching native forms of video on their smartphone more frequently than they were a year ago. So in, in 12 months, you know, the, the, you know, almost half of young people surveyed. And, and I think it, by young people, they're actually looking at quite a broad range. They're looking 16 to 34 so we're not even talking like a narrow age range of young people. Half of the people in that bracket mm -hmm. are essentially watching um, and using mobile devices. Um, when, when we talk about going back to the live streaming at events and providing high quality dedicated uh, streaming, how, how difficult is it to actually deliver that high quality when you've got to factor in that people are watching it on a multitude of different devices using a multitude of different connections, cellular, Wi-Fi, fixed line, whatever it may be. Um, it, has it become a complicated process to do that or is it relatively straightforward? I think in our experience it's actually become relatively straightforward and the technology has, has moved on and it's things like if you're not doing adaptive streaming, I know it's something that YouTube, I'm sure James, that, that yeah. so you, you provide a standard. Um, it, it's then also kind of explaining to clients actually, um, just so you know this, this web stream is going out in many different bit rates and depending on the connection available people will get a slightly different quality level. How do we plan content around that? For example, if there's very critical content, do we make sure that the sound is kept as high quality as possible for as long as possible before the, the, the visual fidelity dips? Um, but it's never been easier to create these adaptive streams to, to service a wide variety of people on different connections. But that's obviously coincided with the average connection speed across the country and across the world going up. Hmm, the connections are better, aren't they, James? You know, yeah. People have 4G connections now, which in, in many instances are actually more reliable than some Wi-Fi networks, aren't they? Certainly in, in event venues, if you've got f good 4G, people would rather use that. Yeah, and, and also I think going back to the actual logistics of uh, putting an event on, there were days where probably six years ago, Bruce and I would have turned up with about eight flight cases, <laughs> unbelievable amounts of kit. Uh, it's now so much easier mm -hmm. from a event production point of view, uh, where we've streamlined everything. Uh, we've changed the way we, and I'm pretty sure quite a lot of our competitors have done the same, where actually it's so much easier for us to, to manage a live stream and then work with people like YouTube or our own player or whatever it may be to be able to broadcast it, their events online. But it's a that has definitely helped, I think, a lot of the event production world, because it, before it was a case of, I got the event manager has got to look after the event oh my goodness, I don't know where to even start with the live streaming bit. Uh, you either pay a company like ourselves or Brute, and then, and then after that, it's a case you've, uh, that it gets looked after. But I think that's something that's changed. The, almost the technology barrier has come down a lot mm. uh, and made it a lot easier for, um, yeah, for people to do it. One thing that more and more people are doing when they're even just watching a standard TV show on the TV at home, T all TV shows now have the hashtag 
you know, join in live whilst the show's happening. And people have become very, very adept at sitting there watching a TV show whilst also tweeting or on Facebook and there are conversations happening. How, how much of that is, uh, how aware of you, uh, are the three of you of, of that live interaction going hand in hand with live streaming and the ability to integrate that within the services that you're providing? I think it's, um, <clears throat> it's an area that's really not um, kind of been thought about as much as it should have been so far. I mean, one of the advantages of live versus doing VOD is that it, isn't, it could potentially be an interactive environment. And what we suggest, what you know, I suggest when people do it is to use Twitter, um, you know, tweet things in and then put them onto the, into the live stream so that you know that there's that sort of feedback loop. Um, YouTube has a sort of a chat system. Um, there's some difficulty around moderation sometimes. You actually need someone to, to sort of kind of sit there and moderate the messages sometimes. So I think that this whole area of interactivity is something that, that is, is kind of like having to, we're having to look into it a little bit more. But I think it's definitely for live streaming, it's, it's the feature which distinguishes it from, from doing video on demand. Is, is it something, James, that your, your clients are coming to you with requests for, and, and how do you integrate that in the services that you provide? I, I think it's pretty standard now, that um, unless there's a hashtag, that they sometimes we do have events where they don't want to um, interact, that, uh, yeah, but that's, that's their, their call. But yes, we'll, we'll have Twitter walls, or uh, they actually next to the player, or if they want it on the player, there's multiple ways that you can actually join the conversation whilst uh, the live stream is happening. It just depends on what they actually need or uh, require. I, I think it relates into as well as reporting after the event in that a big question from our clients is actually, well, how do you know they're engaging with the content? Can't they just be opening a video player and, and leaving it running? Which, which the counter question is always, well, how do you know people at your events are actually engaging? Are they on their mobile phones tweeting away? Um, but, but looking at Twitter traffic and stuff like that's a great way. We have our own voting technologies that we use. Um, so it's, if we're setting up live polls or something, we can see the amount of audience numbers that are actually actively engaging with the content because a vote has been called and they've responded. I'm sure it's the same with the, the YouTube t um, chat. And I'm sure, yeah. James, you're, you have a similar system yeah. in, in place. Um, and so it means that that post-event report isn't just a case of you had X number of viewers that watched on average for X minutes each. It's actually, no, these are the engagements levels and we're getting these figures from Twitter. Here are the engagement levels because we're getting it from a different source. Mm -hmm. And here's our, our kind of a total full 360 event report and that rich data analytics that you can perhaps only get with technology like this as opposed to the traditional in-room event. Um, are there examples of... Um, clients or events that you've worked with where the live streaming is, is not just intended for people outside the actual event itself, but it, that they've also got one eye on people within the event being able to access that, that live stream. Is it, are there scenarios where that's actually taken place? Uh, yes, I would say that, and it normally depends on the network capabilities of that sure, uh, yeah. um, office, and that is a huge problem that we've had uh, to help our clients with is because suddenly if you have uh, one organization or events all pulling the, the data off uh, the same connection it especially if they're watching hd or high quality uh, it's going to bring it down and that's something that i think also your the audience should think about when they if they are wanting their different parts of the event to engage in that content that they, they actually they have the decent uh, internet connection sorted because it's it is something you you forget about or some people can and it, it could uh, cost you dear if it's uh, if it, if, if uh, internet was to go down and there's been a, a, a trend um perhaps to, uh, david this is sort of best best 
focused on you to, for the start, but um, music events, live mm. concerts and things, and pay-per-view pay services. I know pay-per-view, I suppose it's background fundamentally is in, in pay-per-view sports services when, when uh, satellite television yep. um, really boomed. But there are more and more examples now of, of concerts and, and promoters and major, the major music promoters using pay-per-view as a means to extend the audience beyond. Um, how are how are YouTube um, accessing that and working alongside some of these major concert brands to help access live music events specifically? Yeah, so um, I, I would say that uh, we've we've have got a long history of working with um, with music festivals. For example, we um, we have Coachella in the US on the on the YouTube platform every year. We've worked in in the past with. Um, Tomorrowland, which is a big dance music festival, um, and uh, many others around Europe as well, and in the US. Um, often they're done through sponsorship deals, so that um, a big brand like T-Mobile, for example, will sponsor that, that music festival. Um, we haven't done any pay-per-view um, for big music festivals up to this point, but we did do um, a pay-per-view around the Grateful Dead sort of reunion last year, which was hugely successful. Um, for them um, because it was a kind of a one-off series of concerts and something that that just wouldn't be available um, without that sort of um, pay-per-view element there um, so I would say um, for YouTube pay-per-view would work if if they were sort of one-off events um, one-off music festivals if it's a repeated thing then probably not so much um, so we've dipped our toe in the water a little bit pay-per-view it's a, it's a great model I think for for long-term, you know, sustainable revenues for for live streaming, um, in addition to complementing it with um, with um, a sponsorship-supported models as well. Uh, maybe a bit of an awkward question. Maybe not even one that you know the specific details of. But when it comes to pay-per-view and something like a music situation, is that done by the promoter to increase the artist's revenue? Is it done to actually fund the technology required to deliver that live stream? Is it a way of the delivery organization, i.e. YouTube or Google, to, to, to make more money? How, how is the revenue sort of split in that example? Um, well, I mean, the revenue um, for YouTube is generally, um, uh, it's, a, it's a fixed rev share um, for um, everything, single thing. Um, I think there's probably information out there about what the rev share um, between YouTube and um, and the, the people that use the YouTube platform is already. Mm. Uh, it's, it's probably a similar sort of rev share. And, and then extending that pay-per-view idea out uh, to the other chaps here, um, is it very much a no for B2B stuff to even consider pay-per-view? Because ultimately, in a B2B environment, organisers of, of any event are wanting to extend their audience, aren't they? Um, is it something that could ever be considered? Is, is it applicable? Never say never. Um, I think it's an interesting challenge for event agencies is actually, what is that figure? If, let's say, you, you're hosting a live event where you're, you're charging people pounds on the door what then is the cost to watch the webcast I, I some organizers I speak to say the full hundred pounds others say no it's 10 percent that's that's really what we're looking at it is it's something that's been touched on is it is it can be a reduced experience obviously you're not going to network with with your, your peers in the industry and so how do you then parlay that into other perks or, mm. or benefits um, I think on the to, to jump back quickly into the music event side of things that presents a really exciting challenge in the streaming world, certainly, because if I'm watching a conference where someone's talking and, and delivering PowerPoint, a flat visual representation, that is fine. If I'm going to a concert, it's an experience, and, and the challenge is how do we replicate experiences through live streaming technology. There's, there's some exciting work going on. You've got Google Cardboard 
obviously things like Samsung Gear VR um, and Oculus and Rift and HTC Vive have just launched in these full VR headsets and they're, they're now 360 degree streaming cameras that are beginning to see use and, and that's allowing us to replicate experiences as opposed to just the typical flat webcast. Uh, it, it's, it's why this is actually such an exciting time. Um, it's getting towards a time where we, we, we're going to start wrapping things up, but um, I'm keen whilst we've got the three of you in the studio to, to perhaps find out if you've got any, any advice or thoughts on, on what you would like to see clients, event organisers, agencies doing better so that when they approach you with the idea of could they deliver a live stream at their event, what really could, should they be coming to you armed with already in order to facilitate a more accurate level of planning? I'm pretty sure we're all going to say the same thing, <laughs> which is which is that you know just think about it ahead of time. Think about why you're doing it. Don't do it if um, if there's not really a really good compelling reason to do it. And think about you know a longer term strategy than just the live stream itself. Think about this as uh, as something that that really enhances what you're doing already. Bruce, James, anything to add to uh, to David's thought on that? Uh, I could probably just add in the fact that just yeah, the content is. Uh, key and, and, and that if, the, if it's good content people will watch and then also I guess cutting it up afterwards or what we find we're doing a lot more on live events and uh, is cutting short form uh, Instagram videos, Facebook etc etc and just pushing the content out there live as well so uh, having editors on site or back at our MCR and pushing that content to help the story and get more people engaged in that event live stream and that's something that also could be quite useful Bruce, finally, anything to add? Uh, targets. Targets would be my the thing I always ask for. If someone comes to me nine months in advance and says, okay, I want 30,000 viewers for this event, then that's something we can work towards. It's when things just come in as, oh, we're just going to webcast this event, and then after, okay, yeah, yeah, this number of viewers, okay, that wasn't really what we were hoping for. Well, if you have that in advance, we can plan, we can prep, and we can build content around those targets and, and work with you to deliver them. But it's always a million, right? I want oh, it's always a million. Yeah, yeah. it's always a million upwards. <laughs> and then next year it'll be two million. Add another naught. Yes, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> um, guys, thanks for joining us today. Um, fascinating subject, one that's clearly going to develop and continue to evolve. And uh, I think uh, in a future episode, it'd be great to get you back in six months, a year down the line. Let's look at where we are. Let's look at how things are developed and let's look at how things are being shaped up. Um, we're going to wrap up by thanking Bruce Rose from the Live Group for joining Talking Events. Thank, Thank you, Bruce. You. David Thorpe from Google UK. Thanks for joining us Thank today. Thank you so much. James Wilkinson from Streaming Tank. Thank you very much for joining the podcast. You. Um, if you've got any thoughts, comments, tweet us at Talking Events. You'll be able to watch a, uh, a video of this podcast on the Event Industry News website and via the Event Industry News YouTube channel. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. For now, thanks again to the guys at Twickenham Stadium and the hospitality and events team for hosting us, and you've been listening to Talking Events. Mm -hmm.